Welcome to View from the Pool. And in this episode, I'm delighted to welcome Kov Bahadori. And you can correct me if I've said that incorrectly with the Irish accent, etc. Uh, Kov, how are you? I'm very good, thank you, Robin. Good to good yeah. to speak to you today. Yeah, it's good to speak to you, and, and it's good good to see you. You know, via I know no, nobody that's listening can can see you or or me, but at least I can see you. It's been a while. Um, it must be a few years since I've last actually seen you in the flesh. It must be three three plus. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think when it was. Um, although we've been we've been conversing via probably email mainly over the last probably a couple of years, yeah. but. Um, it was probably Active Net, which is um, yeah. Dave Monkhouse's. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, because we, we've kind of. His networking event a couple of years ago. That was probably when we met initially. Is that right? Yeah, I, I think it was maybe the, f- the first one I was at, the first Active Net, maybe yeah. 20. It wouldn't have been 2015, would it have been, or 2017? Around I've then, been to a yeah. couple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I always. The one thing I always remember about you, you know, it's not actually where you live or where you're from or what local authority you work with. It was you were the first person ever told me about a park run. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember, I, yeah, I remember distinctly. I was thinking that before, uh, before I was coming on, I was thinking, I remember specifically probably bending Robin's ear for probably a couple of hours at the bar. Yeah. And I, I was trying to think, I don't know where it came from, but I think it was because I always used to wear a, a black park run band with a barcode That's on it. That's exactly what it was. And, Part of the reason I used to wear that again, because you don't, we don't need to wear it, other than when you're actually doing the event. So yeah. it's scanned afterwards, <laughs> was, so that people would ask me because I'm a big advocate of parkrun. And again, any anyone who's ever listened or anyone who's ever done a parkrun kind of understands it that it's this kind of thing that you just become a believer. And uh, you you must have asked, said, "Well, what's this band about? Why have you got a yeah, supermarket barcode on your arm?" And I've probably just gone into probably after a couple of beers as well into probably about a couple of hours about why parkrun is the thing that it is so and i was basically trying to get you to to go and do one i think and i think you were you were, you were kind of bought into it apart from the uh you've got to get up early on a saturday morning at nine o'clock every single everything single saturday if you want to do it every week and you were other than that i think you were quite sold on the idea yeah uh, it was well there was two things the the it wasn't so much the 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 early Saturday morning thing. <laughs> I, I I kick against this regimented. Uh, I think I was explaining to you regimented nine o'clock every Saturday and out in the bike yeah. every Sunday at nine o'clock. You know and all that yeah. sort of thing. So that that mm-hmm. did that was the thing that uh, I suppose I kicked against. But I do, you know, I have done a couple because I did it. go and have a look yeah. after that because one of the um, active net events we got these my zone heart monitors and stuff like that and, and exercise yeah. moving moving exercise point things and i remember being big into that and thought oh that's something else i can have a go at but i, I just couldn't believe actually after i met you and then did a bit of research and had a look at what was around me and what was going on and obviously it's gone from strength to strength yeah. unfortunately obviously covid has not helped too much with yeah. with what's going on but are you still as big into it as you Absolutely, were then yeah i think um i'm trying to think uh yeah i've, I've done over t- I've, I've nearly done 300 part runs so that's kind of if you did one every single day it's like six years worth of part runs so i've probably been doing it for about eight years so i've missed a few but yeah i've done nearly 300 i think are you still bagging locations <laughs> yeah yeah well they the way it started for me i was in i was working up in teesside at the time yeah Oh yeah, parkrun tourism is a thing. It's a thing. So you basically, people who are keen parkrunners will will tick off places. And I think a couple of times in the last few years, where my partner said, "Oh, should we go on holiday here, just in in the British Isles, etc.?" I've kind of yeah. had a look and thought, "Hang on, are we gonna when we're we gonna be there? Can we, can we go Friday night just so I could get there on a Saturday morning <laughs> and try out a different parkrun?" Which is it's absolutely pathetic, but it actually helps me. Uh, it helps the decision making process. To be fair, last. Probably two years ago, now we were at a um, stag do in Berlin, and I was seriously considering doing Berlin parkrun because we, we went on the Friday. And I was thinking, where is it? So I checked it out beforehand. As it happened, Friday night was as it was a stag do, so there was there was no chance really. But it, it was the thought was there, so I had my running my running kit and my my barcode if I needed it. But uh, I've not done an international parkrun. I've done one in Scotland, um, Tall Cross Park Run uh, when I was. 
I was actually volunteering in the Commonwealth Games, so a different thing. So it's, it's national. But the interesting thing about Scotland is it's half nine start. The Scottish just need that extra half hour in bed. They can't be trusted to make nine o'clock. But um, yeah, so I've done yeah, a fair few, over 300, quite a few different uh, locations. So where, where was yours? I'm trying to think. Oh, we've got one. Um, there's one Craig Avon quite close to us. Right. And that's your local bar room. Yeah, that there's, there's, I think there's one in Banbridge now where I actually live. Um, yeah. But it, the want went off me. I'm not a runner. I was not designed for running in any way, shape or form. On a rugby pitch, you can disguise it. Nobody really cares what you look like unless you're a number 10 onwards. And yeah. I certainly wasn't. Um, so I could get away with what I looked like when I was running. But I, I, I do. I mean, I've run a few half marathons. I think it said that to you when I was younger. But I stick to the bike now. It's, it's, yeah. it's easier on the bones. Mm-hmm. But I, I was actually... Strangely reminded of your um, wristband, you know, when when this lockdown started on the 23rd of March, because it probably like the rest of the country, we all watched Contagion. <laughs> yeah. And everybody, once they get their, uh, their injection, gets their... This will be a real life view of what happens in a pandemic. Let's watch Contagion. Yeah. <laughs> when you can... Um, but everybody in Contagion gets their um, barcoded wristband. It should be the case. It should, it should double up. Just for now, it's a real pandemic. You've already got a parkrun barcode that can just double up as your as your international okay. passport or whatever. One thing I forgot to ask you is right, where are you and what do you where do you work as at the minute? So my uh, yeah, I'm based. Well, I live in Wakefield now, and I work for okay. Wakefield Council. So my job is um, I think it's leisure facilities operations manager for the sport and health improvement team. So effectively, that means that I oversee a number of facilities, including a country park, a golf course, uh, athletic stadium, and um, I was going to say another five kind of what you call traditional leisure leisure type centres, so swimming pools, gyms, etc. Mm-hmm. And I'm part of the wider health improvement team. So um, one of my key responsibilities, I'm in charge of um, referral services. So that's um, kind of weight management and exercise on referral as well, uh, which is a bit of a change because I'm, I'm yeah, from the kind of traditional leisure background where we just operate the facilities mm. and the buildings. So that is part of the wider role, which is, is kind of where the industry is going as well. So it, it's mm. definitely a good thing to be part of because the we had a, again, I'm talk about my career, but that is it's an interesting scenario how that came about really at Wakefield. So we... We kind of got joined with the health improvement team. We were part of public health probably five years ago. Um, and uh, so my manager is the head of health improvement. And she didn't have an awful lot. So Liz Blenkinsop, she didn't know an awful lot about leisure facilities, but she's a, she's a really strong leader. Uh, and she, she could see the synergy and saying, hang on, you're running these leisure facilities where um, we're trying to get health improvement programs across the district. Surely we should be using you as a vehicle to do that. Um, and... It wasn't a case of we constructed that by design. It was more a case of my head of service left. <laughs> Liz got given this this role for a, a few months or a few weeks to look after, which she's always said that she never asked for, never wanted, and has been stuck with. But um, the synergies are there, and it, it's it's not been. You know, I mean, we we haven't got the perfect model or anything like that. But I think being linked into kind of public health and health improvement, where legislators should really sit. Um, we're further forward than maybe maybe some organisations on it, maybe behind some others. But um, it's been a real learning curve for me over the five years. I mean, to be fair, it was actually Liz who put me in post as the, the leisure operations manager. Before that, I was uh, one of several general managers just managing a site. One of the things we've really tried to do is broaden the horizons of the general manager team. So they've got KPIs around health improvement targets and things. So each site's got a health and well-being activator. So, I mean, most most councils and trusts have got these type of people work for them. Um, but I was I was report directly to the general manager, so they have a a responsibility to kind of direct to that that facility operator, saying, oh, "These are my KPIs. So these are many people have been through my twelve week program. This is the success I've had, etc." Which focuses the general manager because they have to then report back to me to say, "This is how well we're doing," and kind of share good practice across the facilities as well. So. That's been really interesting because the model kind of post lockdown has been really, it's been a real challenge for the, for those kind of exercise on referral activators. But what we've seen, which is really interesting, which I never thought possible was they've actually improved. So they've done a lot of their work distance. 
if you understand what I mean. So they basically, rather than bringing people in and having a, a kind of conversation with people at the start of a 12-week program that may have been um, directed by their GP to come in, and they'd sit down, they'd try and get them into some kind of aqua classes, some some light exercise to start with. That would be the, the general protocol. Instead, they've, they've not been able to meet them. A lot of these people are potentially high risk, so we wouldn't necessarily be, even when we reopened, encouraging people to necessarily come back if they were older or, you know, had already, you know, some kind of significant health conditions. So what they've been doing is kind of online, so Skyping people or having phone conversations, but just doing a lot more contact. Uh, and that showed real, really interesting patterns of behavior, whereas lots of the people have come through the program after 12 weeks of really good testimonies in terms of how they've improved their fitness. But this is just by basically phone call conversations weekly with an activator. Um, and you're saying, all right, I'm going to my local park. I'll download a fitness app. I'll, I'll count my steps. I'll come back. I'll have a chat with you about how it felt. And then over the kind of 12 week period, have they been improving their fitness? And we have certain measures that, that shows that they've actually done that. And again, I would have said, you know, our our success rate would have would plummeted without the leisure centres, without the swimming pools, without that social contact where they've got other people in a group of like-minded kind of people. Instead, if anything, they've actually improved their um, their success rate in terms of people completing the program for a start, and also their their health outcomes at the end. So phenomenal really just took me really by surprise i've written a bit of a report on it and i was talking to some colleagues and other local authorities about how strangely that's been successful and i think it's just that the fact that people want human interaction and i suppose we've caused caused it more because you've got to meet that by whether it's a phone call or whether it's a video chat every single week the diary in an appointment and do it every week whereas there's probably a lot less contact because we say well I'll come back to this group twice a week um but you're not forced to necessarily do that you're just one of many so that, yeah, that was a less interesting anecdote, <laughs> but that is kind of what we've been working. It, it's very interesting, you know, in everything you say there, because you know, obviously, COVID hasn't been a good thing, but the number of people I talk to, and, and particularly about communication, the, the number of good things that we're picking out of it, and I think in the long run. It's getting a balance back of the mixture between the two. I mean, I can I can completely understand why people would, you know, exercise referral. You know, sometimes, particularly where you live, is as wet as where I live, and sometimes you know you look out the window and you go, "Flip, I've got to go to the gym," and it's half nine in the morning. You know, I couldn't be bothered, sort of thing. Where you can get online and you can have a chat with your motivator or whatever the the, the terminology is for that health professional who does that, and and they can cur- encourage you. And it's even the number of ways that you can measure progress without actually having seen that person. And I listened to an interview um, David Monkhouse did with a, a, a young lady on um, his recovery conversations the other day off uh, LeisureNet, ActiveNet, and um, it was it was about dealing with the, the 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 older members in society and and how they measured. You have a chair, and they they time how quickly you can get up from the chair, walk three meters and back to the chair. So I'm guessing it must have been something similar for the, the KPIs there with, you know, measuring your steps today, et cetera. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think normally they've got a load of metrics. So you sit down in the first appointment and you might do, you know, you might weigh somebody, take their blood pressure, et cetera. And one of the things that they always do is a kind of walking test. So you do a kind of 30 meters. So in, in the kind of five minutes, how many of these 30 meter shuttles you can do. So you can see, you probably see it in leisure centers at times because we don't always use the sports halls not available. You'll see somebody walking up and down the balcony or yeah. a corridor or something. Um, but again, it's a lot of it perceived yeah. exertion and things like that. So it's kind of saying, how did you feel to them? But you can be quite honest, I think. I think if you say to somebody who's not used to walking very far, can you walk a couple of miles today? And then they come back and go, you know, I've done it. I've done the distance that I said I was going to do. And actually, I've done the same distance the next day and the same distance the next week. But actually, it felt easier. And you kind of say, well, that that is the mentality. I remember having a conversation with somebody a long time ago, just a friend of mine who's a big fellow. And I'd said, you know, if you never, you know, what do you feel about exercise? And he basically explained that he'd been on this exercise referral uh, and somebody put him on a treadmill and told him to to walk or, you know, kind of jog slowly. And he just said, I felt horrendous. I felt like I was going to have a heart attack. I never went back. And for me, there was like a, a bit of a, a bit of a moment, like a, a kind of, 
I was like, yeah, true. Why Why would you? <laughs> if you thought you were going to have a heart attack, why would you go back? It's terrible. But for me, if somebody who does exercise, know there's, you know, the, the pain gain type thing where you think, oh, the harder I've worked, I felt great. Yeah. It was tough at the time, but I feel great afterwards. In his mind, he was like, no, I wouldn't. I mean, a child doesn't put their hand in a fire and burn their hand and then think, I'm going to do that again. So it was exactly the same. Yeah, I was thinking, yeah, yeah I suppose at a very basic level, we don't get around that. I think to people, it, it's okay to feel really uncomfortable. Exercise makes you feel uncomfortable, but the long-term benefits. And also, I think there's a, a perception that I kind of, I used to have as a child that you had a certain level of energy a day. And if you burnt all that by going to the gym, would you, would you, what would you have you left when you need to go to the shops or something? And it's like, no, it doesn't work like that. The more, the more you burn, the more you yeah. get. But I don't think we take much time to explain that to somebody who, who doesn't already get it because we're exercise professionals and we think, yeah, we know if you put a lot of effort in, you, you feel great later or over a period of weeks, you'll gain fitness. But uh, it's, it's ridiculous, really. But some of that's just fundamental. I, I think this lockdown year has opened our eyes to other people's viewpoints much more than probably we would have done in the past because we've we've had to look at recovery conversations and listen to actually what's going on you know me having a conversation with you about exercise referral schemes 12 months ago if you'd have said to me i'd have laughed at you yeah but this whole year has been about taking stock and taking cognizance of of, of what's going on around you and and that's why I find these conversations re- as much of an interest for me. To be honest, I don't care if nobody ever listens to them. <laughs> yeah. The opportunity is for me to have conversations with others because I'm missing that. You know, I miss, I'm not able to travel anymore. I haven't traveled since last February. Um, so I'm missing these face-to-face conversations. And yeah, you, you, you know, you, you know yourself, you do your little bit of work yeah. um, and you, you do whatever you have to do. But the best part of it all is what goes on either side of that. I'd agree, yeah. I definitely miss miss the office environment just because of you get you can get plenty of work done. You can get plenty of work done at home. I was never one for working at home as such um, because I always thought, well, how can you run leisure services from from home? Um, but like I said, yeah, a big part of that I suppose is a bit of crack in the office. Um, I don't have a huge team at head office, but there, I do work in the main council offices. There's a lot of people around, and that you definitely miss having a lot of people around. And even if it's just a, a random conversation in between doing your work as such um but there is like i said definitely a kind of hybrid kind of system going forwards where we're a lot more comfortable on video calls so the the council's got a skype system and we my entire team would have been really uncomfortable having a a video chat in the past it would have been strange but now dead easy two half we've got scheduled two half hours a week we still have it yeah we have kind of one day where we'd normally have all met it's like a full day Mm -hmm. but now two half hours a week and it's really easy to catch up and we can just log on at the same time just and it, it's so much better than before because i've got kind of the team of eight managers we can just have a good chat about whatever it is and like i said even if it's just checking in on each other but we wouldn't have been able to do that before but we'll definitely yeah. even if things return to normal we we'll definitely do that we'll schedule that in probably a couple of times a week just to have a video mm-hmm. call uh, when before it would have been like no we're not doing that we, did, we didn't even know how to use skype We've got like link and different, you know, council yeah. run systems, but we, we wouldn't have wouldn't have used it properly to be forced to. So in that sense, I think it's good because it does cut down on the travel and, you know, it makes you a little bit more efficient. I think, I, I think that probably local authority more so struggled to get into the Zoom call situation, etc. Yeah. Uh, and then, and this is just from what I see from the inside, outside looking in, sorry, uh, there was a big push nearly to micromanage at the start, you know, where what are you doing half nine to 10? What are you doing 10 to 11? You know, that micromanagement, which is just impossible. And then people were getting zoomed and skyped out until it's got to the stage that you've just described where it's, it's, it's that balance, you know, where people do work probably very well. You know, if you can work from home, you can work really well from your home. And you can, you know, I'm going to take half an hour to walk the dogs or I'm going to go for a jog or do whatever. Should you still be doing a bit of work at seven o'clock at night or whatever time, as long as you get the work done from A to B? Yeah. I think that's come out really, really strongly as as the balance is getting redressed from yeah. that full day of Skype or full day of yeah. Zoom, which was driving some people nuts, quite rightly too. Uh, it, it, the, so I'm hoping the balance keeps it's about achieving that balance as you say um there's the other things so uh i've got quite a good network in in west yorkshire so i speak to kind of my opposite numbers at um 
Kirklees, Leeds, um, Calderdale and Bradford. We used to meet probably every couple of months uh, for whatever reason. We'd, we'd imp- increase that a lot because everyone's like, lockdown, what do we do? Let's have a let's have a video or a, at least a kind of conference call and see what they're doing. And then we got linked into a wider group kind of across the country with kind of uh, Dave Redfern from Wiltshire and loads, loads of the kind of classic operators. You probably know half of them, Robin. And we're on this kind of wider call with about 30 operators. And again, speaking, you know, leisure operator language, um, as you do, um, but really useful. Just if anything else, just comforting to know. That they were in the same situation as you because we'd never been in a situation where we've got to close, you know, in one day, close all your ledger facilities. Well, that's strange. Do we even know how to close them? And certainly, they know how to reopen them, COVID secure, and things yeah. like that. So, there was a lot of just chat going on, but that was really useful because loads of people had different bits of information. There was, there was times where there wasn't any clear guidance coming out. So, everyone's kind of like second guessing what they might do when, you know, with ledger, it's all about systems and operations and stuff. And you kind of have a real feel for what you, you know, if you've been in it long enough, what your training should be. Uh, I think I listened to some of the other podcasts. And again, like I said, ring another hour assess and saying, hang on, can the, can the staff train? What do they need to do if I, if I do reopen, et cetera? So a lot of the things that I think the last podcast, I think Joe Tarbo was talking about, like lots of pressure on them to kind of say, hang on. And they, they've got no manual for that necessarily to start with. Hang on, we don't know if we close all the leisure centers, what we're supposed to do. So lots of questions across the board on a hundred different kind of subjects like that. But really, close bonds made with with you know kind of some other people across the, the country are in the, exactly the same position which again there's still a, an email thread that probably goes around every every week on how you're dealing with memberships how you're dealing with pool plan operation how you're dealing with health and safety and stuff so it's it's quite it's quite a good wider network that you can i think is there to be called upon in future the networking seems to have improved incredibly amongst operators and Again, outside looking in, sometimes I see local authorities become quite insular. And I think this has forced the issue for people to look outside their own knowledge base, if you like. Now, I think where you live, you know, your part of the world is kind of more like the, the Irish way, if you like. You know, everybody knows everybody around us. You know, local authorities, everybody knows everybody. If you've got something that your, your neighbouring council's going, well, why have I not got one of those? You know, that sort of thing. And I think around Wakefield, you've kind of got that similar feel anyway. But it is interesting that, and this goes from the Shetland Islands down to the Channel Islands, the networking has been absolutely incredible where people have reached out because we all don't want to be reinventing the wheel. You know, How do you shut the pool down was the first thing that really brought everybody together. We're closing, the, Leisure's closing on the 23rd. Well, bloody hell, how do we close a pool? What do we do? We've all emptied a pool every now and again, once every two, three, four years or whatever it is. It's usually only empty for, you know, as soon as, as the last bit of water drains out, you nearly start filling it because it's been cleaned again. But all of a sudden, we were just shutting pools down to leave them, to drop the temperature, leave um, the air handling systems and everything that goes with that. And nobody had ever done that before. Moth, nobody had ever mothballed a leisure centre. So I think that absolutely forced the whole networking thing. Uh, and I'm presuming that was your experience too. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said it's just, it's just, yeah, with with no notice. I mean, there's times obviously you might close one site for kind of a refurb or something like that, and you might be you've, mm-hmm. you've got that planned in advance. You're gonna yeah. you're gonna get rid of the water. You might have to call your local um, water authority mm-hmm. and tell them that they're getting four hundred thousand, four hundred cubic meters of heated chlorinated water. They like to know these things, um, but also there's there's no kind of uh, clear indication when you might reopen either. Because then you say, hang on, what do we do? We need to keep. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, who's allowed to go in? Do you know what I mean? So you've, you've stood all the staff down, uh, and then what do you do with the staff? And then there's some people, some councils furloughing staff. What do you do? Some leisure trusts clearly need, needing to furlough staff. Um, we we were quite lucky that we got an indication early on that we weren't going to do furlough, but they wanted staff available to do a whole range of other things. And I was really clear with, with my team, the managers, that we could we could do some really positive things, and we did. And I think that was the same across the board. Everyone I've spoke to said the leisure staff, just the type of people that you get in leisure, they're pretty flexible and available. And on the whole, there wasn't, I don't think, too much uh, people, again, maybe in summer, the first lockdown, people were like, yes, it's all right, this, I'll stay at home, I'll get paid, I won't put my hand up. But very much now, it's like, you give me anything. I've had staff on um, waste recycling, on 
physical, you know, refuge handling bins to call centres to feed food and PPE distribution hubs. But it's great because I've got a, a fairly youngish workforce in terms of the frontline lifeguard type teams um, who are just happy to do anything. Do you know what I mean? So they possibly felt less vulnerable than some of the older staff, especially early on. They kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm up for doing something. Give me anything, really, after a couple of weeks of, of, of maybe sitting on the sofa and thinking this is rubbish because it's not the same as a holiday because you can't do anything. You can't go to the pub all day and hang out or, or go away or anything. So people just wanted something to do. And the the feedback I've had from other services that would helped out makes you really proud that the the teams that you've got, and again, it helps. They are first aid trained. They're fairly mobile. Most of them are, you know, just keen. They're used to dealing with different situations. So all of the feedback has been great. And all the teams, and I've, I've said this to, to the team managers and to people directly, is there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity to not do a lot. If you want, you could possibly stay at home and say, you know, I'm I'm going to struggle. And for people who are shielding that, there's no no call out on that. You need to, you know, I mean, if you've got, you know, vulnerable family members and stuff like that, absolutely. But it's an opportunity if you if you want to do something something different. It's great for your CV because you might not get that opportunity ever again. And any opportunity you get, I think, grab it with both hands. And if nothing else, you'll you'll learn something to reflect from. So, yes, yeah, really really good examples where team members have gone and done something else, and then subsequently game promotions out of it or even move teams. I've got a couple of lads who really enjoyed the bins right. when a couple of jobs came up. They've yeah. gone straight onto it, loved the working outside. I'm like, you know, we lost, lost a couple of uh, decent staff, but you know, they, they seem to really, really like the uh, the, the job on the bins. So fair news. But that actually leads me quite nicely back to part of one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today was about your own entry into lifeguarding, etc. You know, how did that start? Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's probably not a. If you had a classic leisure journey, it probably starts a little bit earlier than mine. If people are saying, and I've heard of a couple of podcasts where it usually starts with, "I did my bronze medallion." I didn't know what bronze medallion is. I've only been in the in the industry seventeen years, and I think it was a little bit before my time. So, I, but I also wasn't, and um, I wasn't, and never have been a particularly good swimmer. Whereas I think it's natural to be, if, you, uh, if you're in the swim club and you spend a lot of time around the leisure centre, then it's like, well, you know, how do you get a job as a lifeguard? And quite often it's, it's well paid. It's like, you know, you're good at swimming. Uh, so, you know, you can probably do the qualification um, in terms of the swim bit, which initially put me off. So my, I suppose my leisure story, not being a swimmer, again, I'm, I'm, I'm a rugby, well, played rugby. And again, so the two things are not mutually exclusive. You tend to be big and heavy and not float very well when you're a rugby player. So, um, I did everything the wrong way around. So I, I was at school, college, I was studying three A-levels. So business, PE and graphics, kind of like uh, graphic design. And I was really keen on the graphic design. I think that was probably where I thought my strongest area was. And the kind of, I don't know, I didn't get disillusioned with it, but I kind of thought I'm really excelling actually at business studies and PE, not sure why. And I kind of looked at university courses and I ended up doing a sport and leisure management degree at um, Staffordshire. And this is a bit of a, a random one as well, because I thought you needed to put pick five um, universities to apply to. So I'm sat in this little uh, room. I've got my five choices, and then I'm re- spilling out the form, and there's there's a sixth choice. I'm like, hang on, I haven't got a sixth choice. So I've turned around with all the prospectuses are behind you. I picked out one, and it was Staffordshire University, and it said nearest university to Alton Towers. I mean, everybody loves Alton Towers. And I'm like... I'll bang that in as a sixth choice because I'm clearly not going there. But if we're, if, if nothing else, I'll go there. And uh, I kind of had my heart set on. I had two choices. So there was Loughborough and then there was Manchester Met. So Loughborough was more, I think it was PE, and it was going to be oversubscribed. And I think they wanted you to have kind of county standard um, kind of sport at the time. Uh, I don't know if that's still the case, but I don't know if it was definitely for PE, but I think it helped your application if you were a really good sports person. You'd already had county honours. Um, which I, I didn't have at the time for rugby league, um, which is my main sport. Um, definitely not swimming or water polo or anything kind of pool based. Um, so, so I picked up this perspective, but I really think it combined honours, Manchester Met, business, sport. I'll get a job in sport or business, something like that. And then I went to visit. Um, Manchester Met. It turned out it was a crew in Alsager. I was like, this is not Manchester. <laughs> this is miles away. It was on the same day. I happened to, it was near Stoke-on-Trent where Staffordshire is. I kind of thought, 
I wasn't enamoured because it just seemed so far out in the sticks, old crew, and I'll say to you, not dissing it if anyone <laughs> listening likes it, because I've got some, strange, I've got some good friends who went there um, subsequently. So I actually pulled up, I thought Stokes down the road, I've got Staffordshire, this spot and leisure manager. So I pulled up, having gone to the open day at um, crew, and I'll say to you, at Staffordshire University, and they were like, I said, oh, I'm here, can I have a look around the spots about And they went, oh, you're here for the open day. And I was like, Am I? And they're like, yeah, it's the sport and, and health open day. Come in, we'll give you a ticket. So I ended up in the on the right day at the right place, having a look round, and it just seemed a bit more happening. The only day in three years, Robin, that the sun was shining in Stoke-on-Trent. I was like, this place is great. <laughs> what a place. It rained incessantly every day I ever lived in Stoke. It was horrendous. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, having, having played rugby and rugby league then, I actually ended up, making some friends back at Crew and I'll say just, so I managed to l- go back and see what my life would have been like mm. if I'd have gone there because it was literally yeah. on a whim. You know, when you think these sliding mm. doors moments, yeah. I was like, I should have really gone there, but I ended up going to Staffordshire. But um, yeah, so that that was a, a strange one. So I've got, a, I've come out of university with a degree in sport and leisure management, never worked in a leisure centre, um, never necessarily had a passion for a leisure centre as such, but I thought, you know, what can I do now? So that was kind of 2002. Um, I'm back in Huddersfield, where I'm from, um, looking at jobs just in the local paper. Um, this was around Christmas time. It said, Kirkley's Active Leisure, Huddersfield Sports Centre, looking for leisure assistance. So I've, I've just applied, ended up you know, getting an interview, going down there. Uh, and I'm sat in the, in the change room getting changed because we had to do a swim test. So the, the one thing that stuck with me, they didn't ask for a, a poor lifeguard qualification. They just said, an ability to swim because just getting the qualification would have probably put me off even applying. So I started getting changed and the guys I'm to said, Oh yeah, I've been a lifeguard for two years. Uh, I will work at Halifax and he, he, you know, he seemed he was a good swimmer and you were doing. I was thinking, I'm never going to get the job here. And he must be speaking to me going, this guy's got a degree in sport and leisure management. He's just done a three year full time. And I, I wasn't thinking that at the time I was thinking, I'm never going to get the job over him. Um, so when I'm in, actually in the interview that, Again, I'm talking to uh, it was a guy called Gerard, uh, who was the general manager at the time, telling him how, you know, I'd been done this sport and leisure management degree and I was management material and, you know, probably waxing lyrical about, you know, high, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs or something ridiculous in a lifeguard interview. And it, it wasn't going well. I could remember the kind of duty manager at the time who was doing the interview, right, rolling her eyes. And then they said, you know, yeah, what do you like it? What do you like it cleaning? I was like, oh, I've worked uh, for Haven Europe as an accommodation cleaner for six weeks last summer because my, my sisters used to work in the Ents department. They said, come over to France, get a job as an accommodation cleaner. It's the best gig going. You get finished early and you can basically just holiday and you get two days a week off. Just do that. I was like, all right, I'll do that in France. So when I'm sat in the interview for a leisure assistant, because I've already got a, a degree in sport and leisure management, which I think is going to get me sailing through, they only started taking notice when I said, oh, yeah, I've been a cleaner. Oh, well, what do you know about clean? Oh, I know about PPE, I know about cosh, I know about, you know, double checking and this and all of a sudden they came alive, started ticking boxes I could see and I was like, Dick I was box. thinking three years and all that debt for uni and all I needed was a job as a cleaner and I'm in there. It, it was just so funny. It was like, literally, you could see the body language. Hang on, he's done some cleaning. This will be great. Um, so yeah, never looked back in terms of leisure. So I got a job as a um, le- yeah, leisure, leisure attendant at Huddersfield Sports Centre, working for Kirkley's Active Leisure, and that must have been early 2003. So, yeah, just over 17, 18 years ago. Um, and it took me a good 20 months, so that was full-time as well. So that was probably hmm. the one thing I've never done was, yeah, I didn't do bronze medallion, I'm not much of a swimmer, but at least they, they put me through the, the hmm. lifeguard course, and I got that. So I've never done a, hmm. like a relief shift, uh, and I've never done an acting-up shift. Um, my next... Hmm. Um, foray into management because i thought it was management material there um it took me a long time well it took me 20 months to actually get a management opportunity because clearly i thought i knew everything robin and turns out i knew very little but i was a fairly diligent lifeguard i didn't mind doing the cleaning and stuff but i always had too much to say for myself in terms of how i thought things should be run um so it was it it took a while it wasn't obvious and probably and i think i was thinking back the the thing that probably made the difference was there was at one point they were asking for people to act up and I put my name down. Yes, this is me. I'm and management didn't like me because clearly I, you know, my own opinions on everything. And I was quite happy to tell them. Um, so I was never going to get an opportunity because I was too outspoken about things I didn't really understand. So 
um, one of the opportunities to act up, but I'd not got a look in early on. And but there was a course, a pool plant operator's course came up, and it said, "You know, we've got a spare place on the course. Do you want?" And this was apparently got about thirteen people put their name down. Said, "I want to do the course." This was people who weren't acting up at the time, but they had a spare place. Uh, and it went down to the duty manager and the plant ops guy, Steve McCluskey and uh, Dave Weevil, who I was I was good pals with. And they were like, oh, we've just been asked to do it. Just put put all the names in a hat and pull one out. And I remember I was sat on the pool and I seen them both shiftily walking past and grinning at me. And then when I came off the pool, they went, look at that. Your name's come out of the hat. You're on the pool plant course. <laughs> and I was thinking, I'm away. So I get that pool plant. There's no way they can deny me a, a shot at a shot at duty yeah. manager. Um so I, I, yeah, got got that course, and then the next there was a like a round of duty managers uh, kind of courses, uh, not courses, jobs came up, and there must have been kind of like six or seven positions, um, and I I got I did the interview, I must have done okay, and they gave me the job, and I started working at Sisset Baths, um, which is kind of it's on the outskirts of kind of Wakefield and Huddersfield, really Sisset, but again, it's a it was a standalone pool, and they just got a gym in there. And did that for about six months, but that was that was good. I remember speaking to the the two full. There's literally only two full time lifeguards there when I started. I was one of two kind of duty managers, uh, and they did have a, a kind of general manager, ops manager, Alison at the time. And I was speaking to the two lifeguards not long after I started, and they said, "Oh, we were cleaning Alison's office, and we seen this long list of names. We saw this funny name, Kov Bahadri, and they were like, "Who's that?" And it, and it had this long list of qualifications next to it, and then it just had in pencil, "Wild card." And I asked Alison <laughs> about this. They said nobody else had a comment on it. Mine had wild card on it. I asked Alison. She said, "Oh yeah, you were down as the wild card." And I said, "I'm having him," um, and that that was it really. So I did must have done okay at Sissy um, Baths over the six months I was there because they moved me back to Huddersfield, which is a much bigger site, um, and I spent three years yeah. there as as duty manager. Uh, which again, a busy site, climbing wall. You know, with five five lane indoor indoor bowls um yeah eight court kind of um sports hall uh you know two pools etc a cafe there's yeah. quite a lot going on it was a busy site um so and it was an older mm. site so you do all this kind of generally just maintenance stuff you learn loads about yeah. you know electronics and things like that when you're just messing around in a big old center and you're trying to fix things um but yeah baptism of fire but something you've kind of got to you've got to earn your stripes as a, as a duty manager no doubt about it because it, yep. it just sets you up for for the rest so did yeah so again kept my, my mplq qualification up ever since then well not now but yeah for, for a long time after that um my, well i know that my next but i went to tees valley leisure so this is in the northeast oh yeah, oh, yeah. so it was a big call and i remember thinking if, if, I, if I wait here at kirkley's I'm probably going to get an opportunity at some point to be a to be a, mm-hmm. you know, potentially a, a site manager, etc. But there's no guarantees. Whereas this was assistant operations manager across three sites, and it was in uh, well, Redcar and Cleveland, which is where Tees Valley mm. used to operate, kind of as a leisure yeah. trust. Yeah. So went up there for kind of four years in total. I was um, assistant operations manager, so I kind of covered Saltburn, Loftus, and Gisborough. Um, and then they had Eston yeah, and Redcar. So Loftus, yeah, great, great site actually. Loftus, really good times there. Good, really good pool. Um, it's run by SLM now. Um, I left yeah, yeah. just shortly before they took over the contract, but l- learned just just loads uh, from there. We had some really good kind of uh, duty managers, assistant managers up there. And again, I went and I was twenty eight, and I think the youngest assistant manager was thirty five. And the rest, of, they were all experienced, but good um, duty managers. Some of them, still some of the best I've worked with, and they probably taught me more than I taught them in the in the four or five years I was there. Um, but had a real real appreciation for you know you know collaborative working with people and just taking advice from people who know what they're talking about, and that was really really useful. Uh, people like Angie Gage, uh, just just really helped me out. They, they knew their stuff, you know, they knew the finance figures, they knew everything. And they, they were pretty, pretty commercial at Tees Valley. We, we, we were on it and I was surprised that we, we lost the contract because we we're doing a lot of good stuff and we weren't particularly expensive as a leisure trust. Uh, we were, we were good, just pretty, pretty well operated, good team. Um, so I was disappointed for them when it, when it changed. But again, I think most of the staff have, have been pretty well looked after by um, 
everyone active. And so you'd they, gone they, by they then? I'd gone before the, the contract was changed, yes. I'd come back down because mm. um, I realized I'd been there for four years. I'd got a promotion to kind of multi-site general manager. Um, mm-hmm, and yeah. we were working on the new red car leisure center at the time. So I've been involved yeah. in some of the design for that as well, which was good. Uh, but, oh, were you? Um, so, yeah, in the, in the early stages of so Tees Valley, we're looking at it again. We never, Tees Valley Leisure oh. never took over. It was SLM by the time it actually transferred mm. over, I think. So I never worked there. Uh, I was gone before it was ready. But I did manage the old Red Car Leisure Centre, Red Car Bowl, as it was. So you were involved in the early design of the Red Car Leisure Centre, yes? Yes, that's right. And again, um, so I was really keen. We've got um, the interesting thing there we've got is the Flowrider which is the, yeah. uh, the, the indoor surfing uh, simulator, which, again, was great and probably one of my best work days is when we went, went to Hewitt and Newcastle just to have a go on there to see what it was like. Mm. Um, so I was a big fan of that. Again, I've never actually been right. back to have, to have a go, really, really, but I was, I was a big fan of let's, let's get that in because obviously there's a few there's a few kind of concerned calls. Should we have, you know, some kind of flume? Should we have, you know, yeah. more different, uh, just some different options? But I was like, yeah, this is great because they've got um, – quite a strong surfing community over at Saltburn, which is not too far away. So they've got yeah. a bit of waves on the northeast. I was like, yeah, it ties in perfectly. Not sure if it did or not. I just really wanted to go on it and to have one. Yeah, well, I've been on site a few times because we, when it was a building site, I was up there and we, I'm not sure if it was when everyone active took it on, but we literally, the building was handed over on a Friday and we were in on the Monday to install a system. Um, and then it's been upgraded over the years. And in fact, it was actually one of the first systems in the UK where we put detection in. In fact, it was, it was, it was the second one in the UK, but I remember looking at that <clears throat> flow rider a couple of times going, oh, I'd love a go on that, <laughs> you know, and then, then you look at YouTube and all, all the, all, all the mishaps and you go, maybe, yeah. maybe not. They, they, they're was, particularly difficult, but it's really funny. So yeah, we spent an hour in uh, Newcastle on, on theirs at Hewitt and, I've never laughed so much in my life. Just watching your, your, your colleague getting launched off the back of it is hilarious. Uh, even and if and it's, it certainly is much, it's a much better feature than a flume, let's face it. Yeah. I think it's pretty engaging. Just like, like I said, so if you get yeah, 10, 10 guys or a kid's party on it, something like that, then it's just entertainment just for a solid hour. It's fantastic in terms of you have a go and you, it's it's particularly hard to do when you start with. I mean, mm. surfing's hard. I think if you get if you get the knack of it quite quick because the wave is at least it's consistent. You get a feel for yeah. it when you go out surfing in the, the ocean. Every wave is a little bit different, so it, it mm. takes longer, I think. But um, it it's yeah, it's, it's good fun. I got stood up a, a couple of times, but as soon as you get stood up, and then you you fall yeah. harder once you're stood up. So it's you, it's a planted. great laugh. Yeah. If you've never tried it, I'd definitely anyone just to, to have a good go. It, they appeal to me because you know a flume just. It's bum 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 and that's it, and it's the yeah. same every single time. Yeah, you know, and even at the likes of Alton Towers, where you've got the big, the big massive ones with the tubes and all the rest of it, it's still just a, a thirty forty second ride or whatever, and that that's a long one if it's a forty second ride. Whereas yeah. the, the, those flow riders are just nothing's ever the same. It's just yeah. mental. And yeah, I'm yeah. sure once you get to a certain skill level, and you're brilliant at it, that's when you can go out on the ocean, as you say, and tackle. <laughs> tackle the moving waves one of the things i was going to say to you it's actually a feature that keeps coming out just when i was listening to you about your early career there mm-hmm. a feature that's really come through in, in all these conversations is the, the volunteering but i'll do that you know it's like you and the plant operators course mm-hmm. i want to do that i want to do that and yeah. it's been a real feature of of lifeguarding even what you said about your staff at the minute the ones that don't want to just stay at home <clears throat> excuse me the ones that just don't want to stay at home and want to go out and get involved. And then I do know a few guys from a local leisure facility who fell in love with the bin lorry, for want of a better yeah. word. But people with the lifeguarding in their blood seem to be much more comfortable at, at going out there and giving themselves up freely to do stuff uh, because they've got all those interaction, all that interaction training that they've had in the first aid, as you say, etc. It's really, really interesting just to see this pattern that I didn't know existed. Yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely. I think you've touched on something. What I found is when we've taken on really like sixteen-year-olds um, who've come in quite nervous after a couple of years of working in a leisure centre, they said yep. they've got to do things like their MPLQ, and it might be 
in some ways, the first adults they've had to speak to, and you might have to tell an adult off. Mm. And if you're a 16 year old kid, and you're not with that much confidence, and yeah. it's your job to come and say, "Excuse me, you need to you need to stop doing that. You need to stop throwing your child upside down. Mm. You're going to give him a spinal injury, yeah. or you know, you, you know, if somebody's, I'm not really sure you can swim. Can you stay in the shallow end or something? That's a tough thing to do. But once you start doing it, and you realise that if you you hold yourself in a certain way, and you wear the uniform, and you are doing things for the right reasons. And, you know, even if it's, you know, kicking some kids out, et cetera, you're going to get, you know, get support from your colleagues and stuff. But I think that confidence where you've got to, you've got to give customer service, it's a real, it's a job that it demands a certain respect because, you know, you're, you're there, aren't you? As you're going to save someone's life if, if necessary. And I mean, I've, I've been unfortunate to see it in action. Do you know what I mean? I've had, I've dealt with, I've done CPR a couple of times uh, myself and the, the outcome wasn't, wasn't good in either of those occasions, but what I'm really proud of is when the the team do a great job, and I've really uh, been in Wakefield. So over the last I think, two years ago, um, at the same site at Sunline where I used to manage, we had two kind of quite serious heart attacks where the outcome was positive, where both both these gentlemen survived, and we had a lot of debrief with the uh, with the staff afterwards to the point where we've made a we made a YouTube video. That was probably like a three-minute video. Where we interviewed one of the guys who was just basically saying how thankful he was that the team were first aid trained and stuff. And again, I urge you to watch it because it's quite a compelling video, and we've, we've produced it properly. Um, There's kind of an interview with the the duty manager Lee at the time, and Lee's one of these where if if, you, if there's three or four duty managers at a site, there's always one who's kind of unlucky. Um, and that's probably an industry thing where you'll always find one that every, I, I was yeah. that duty manager. I think it puts me in where <laughs> if there's something is going to happen, whether it's a fire, whether it's a, a yeah. potential, you know, a drowning event or a major first aid or events yeah. go wrong, uh, at, at something like that's poor, that is Lee, but it does mean, I mean, I was there, I was that guy, but yeah. it does mean that you, you, you kind of, you learn fast and, and Lee and his, his own skills he was very cool in both these situations so both heart attacks happened while lee was on duty well he would because it's his job to deal with the emergencies because he's, he's the emergency duty manager the other three that were with him you know nothing ever nothing bad ever happens but um him and his team did such a good job and both times they defibbed the the, the casualty got them back around and both those people are you know making i think very much full recoveries, but one of the guys was was happy to come and talk to us and kind of do a bit of an interview as part of the video. Um, for kind of, we made it for our own purposes for our own staff to kind of. It wasn't about a horror show, kind of frightening them, but it was kind of saying that you can do as much training as you want, but in the real life situation, this is this can be different. But if you do your training right, and again, I think Lee Lee really says this: if you if you do your training because we do it month in month out, you just you just revert to that because you've got nowhere else to go. Um, and it, and it is difficult, but it it was a really that's the kind of the the kind of benefits you get out of being a manager. Sometimes when you see your staff doing something really profound and making a real difference, um, so that video is actually quite quite tearful. At one point, the first time I watched, it, I was welling up. I was like, you know, I know all this. You guys actually do some really good stuff. I've noticed with um, information you put out to the public, you know, you know, even about the new centre, and we'll talk about that later. But you know, when I get to know someone like yourself over the years, I do you follow stuff that's going on, just to keep abreast of yeah. it. And, and you're good at t- telling good news stories because I did see that YouTube one, and it's very good. But you were making me laugh, and, and something just sprung into my head. I had a conversation with a guy called Richard Hewitt, who I went to school with. And it's in one of the other podcasts. We talked about when we started as lifeguards, we were so green and naive behind the ears, we, you know, wet. We didn't have a clue about real life. And we we had to grow up so very quickly. And you just suddenly reminded me of an incident. And I haven't repeated this in years. This particular, let's just call him a bad boy from where I was a lifeguard in this particular town, wouldn't get out of the pool. Come on, come on, what are you going to do about it? No. The assistant manager was, was a bodybuilder, big lad, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I was only in the job a couple of weeks, you know, and I didn't know what to do. You know, I had no confidence to do anything. I was scared yeah. and all the rest of it. And I, I called the supervisor and the supervisor got this guy down on the poolside. And this lad's in the middle of the pool, giving it this, that and the other. And uh, in, in this particular site, the, the cafe overlooked the swimming pool. Yeah. And the big lad came on to the... Um, pool side and he says right clear the pool so everybody was taken out of the pool it was just this one lad in the middle and effing and blind and then giving it this that and the other 
and he looked up and he says, can you get the cafe cleared, please, too? So <laughs> the cafe was cleared and this lad just went in after him <laughs> and trailed him out of the pool. You know, well, ducked him a few times. Let's just say that's probably yeah. the best way of putting it and trailed him out. And he, he threw him onto the far side and then he said, right, <laughs> let them back in the cafe so everybody came back and to see what was going on and there's this <laughs> lad lying on the far side of the pool deck now you wouldn't get away with that now well you wouldn't i mean the best the best similar story i've got on that is early <laughs> dozer i was a lifeguard uh and the assistant manager came down and again there's all this and what he's done is beckoned the uh he was yeah kid but he was probably in his you know early teens he wouldn't mm. get out so he tried everything I'm not getting out of it. So he, he clocked his, yeah. um, they used to have their, their locker key kind of wristband on. So he just clocked the number on his wristband, went and gone, got the mask, just gave it one of the staff the mask key, said, go get everything out of his locker. His locker 254, brought it onto poolside and said, this your stuff? The guy's like, uh, yeah. Walks to the fire door, opens the fire door, chucks the stuff out. So he's, he's trainers, his clothes, this stuff, everything's in there. The guy's got to get out. Brilliant. He jumps out, scrambles out of the pool, runs out. <laughs> A colleague, Steve Tamp, closes the door behind the fire door behind him. He's now outside, soaking wet. But the, the, the kicker was, he turned around smiling. He's still holding his towel, <laughs> so he's outside in the freezing cold with all his stuff. The, the fire door's locked behind him, and he's got his towel. And says, "Right, crack on, everybody. We'll leave his towel at reception if he dares come back." And I was like, "Brilliant." I've always thought if that ever happens, that's what I'm going to do. I've never actually, you know, because you do everything. Clear the pool is, is a good one. Just shame them into getting out. But um, again, I'm probably too far removed now. I haven't seen it for a while. But yeah, the old uh, gate lock. Again, I think at our sites now, I don't think they have the, the, the lock and number isn't on there, you know, on the wrist, on their band. So you wouldn't necessarily be able to do it. But yeah, anyone who's, you know, wants to use that tactic and film it, do it. <laughs> Yeah, you'd probably be done for abuse of human rights now, anyway. Well, you could deny it. <laughs> Maybe not in Wakefield. You could always deny it. So, back to Wakefield then from um, Red Car. So, yeah, Red Car. Or, or, or Tang Tees. Well, yeah, sorry. Tees Valley was kind of um, Tees Valley, Tees Valley Leisure, not to be confused with Tees Active just up the road. Yep, yep. Um, so, yeah, when. They're there till 2012, and then I saw an opportunity just, again, I wasn't necessarily looking to leave, but um, the new centre was opening up in Wakefield, um, Sun Lane Leisure, uh, in 2012. And I just thought, oh, you know yes, what, that looks good. That looks impressive. I'm going to put my hat into the ring. It meant I could move back to Huddersfield, because Huddersfield Wakefield pretty pretty close. I thought, you know what, I've been doing this for four years now. Let's, let's have a look. <clears throat> Came down. Um, yeah, got offered the job. Just said yes straight away. I just thought it's the one thing missing off my CV was this new site opening. Even if, if I'd hung around it um, in Red Creek Living, I possibly could have opened the new site there. But I thought, you know, this is definitely happening. Mm. Let's do it. Um, and it, yeah, just a little bit closer to home. And it was, it's been, like I said, I've been here eight years now, just over. Um, and I guess I originally started as a general manager at Sun Lane. Um, and mm. to be fair to, to Wakefield Council, we've massively invested in the leisure stock. Uh, I remember my first experience with Wakefield wasn't actually starting. It was probably about a year before I left Raker and Cleveland. And we went to Nottingley Sports Centre to do a pool point course. Uh, and it's a riff. It's not there anymore. Uh, not all thanks to me, but, you know, part it's it needed it needed demolishing. Um, it was one of kind of 50s, 60s kind of, big old building um and it was it was in terrible state i remember uh, some of the colleagues now I remember being on the plant course and they were very they were very upset about something it was mainly wakefield staff so some of the team i've got now mm. and i remember distinctly them chatting to each other they were they were happy about some kind of pay dispute or something like that i was like these are a pain aren't yeah. they? they've got this horrible leisure center and they're all a pain and I was really proud of my my guy Ryan, who was a duty manager, who was with me at the time, and he was asking loads of pertinent questions of the pool plant uh, trainer um, about spa pools and stuff. Because Ryan just loved mm. he loved his spa pool at Loftus and was really keen. He was yeah. and he was like, constantly, you know I mean, he was Mister Spa Pool. He's probably still there now, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just still <laughs> sorting out the spa. Um, but and I thought, yeah, there's you know I mean, there's work to be done at Wakefield and there was when I came down there was work to be done and fortunately mm. yeah they invested about 10 million pounds in the new Sun Lane um, 
and it was looking to change things to be a little bit more commercial. But what we found early on is the, the standard of the facility was good. I brought a lot of staff over from the existing facility, which would handed over Lightwaves. And <clears throat> we set about you know, really changing the culture, trying to get, you know, yeah. Initially, it was very much about being commercial, about driving the membership base, mm-hmm. about bringing the income in, because the point was to, we built this, spent 10 million pounds on this leisure centre, but it should be cost effective. It shouldn't be costing um, the same amount of these older buildings to run because they should be busier. And it, and it was, it was easily busier than the, than the buildings that it replaced. So we had a lot more children on swimming lessons. We had a lot more active gym users. So we were doing a, a better job of serving the community at a, um, a much less subsidised cost uh, annually. Um so, yeah, I was there, and eventually, um, probably three years into that, just just less maybe, the operations manager, Mike, so my boss, Alan, uh, decided to retire, uh, and the opportunity came up, and again, I had to um, I had to go to a full external interview to get the job, which was which was tough. Um, and the way that they, they did it, um, there was a kind of assessment center at the time so we had i think it was about nine applicants we had to do some group activities and and different stuff and that was that was quite um quite a challenging process and fortunately um considering i still had still still have and had this kind of slightly know-it-all attitude um so i'd come in as the the new general manager at sun lane and really rattled the cages of some of the other general managers that had been there a while some of those were on the uh, this kind of interview selection panel. So and I remember speaking to one of my colleagues and he was saying the the discussion at kind of at the end of that day as to whether or not you got an interview the next day was about how you'd done. And there was three of my current colleagues on that panel uh, and the other people on the panel, the health improvement type managers were like, he's a little bit cocky, isn't he? He thinks he knows it all. And they really dug in for me and said, he is, but he does know what he's talking about. He's worth an interview. And after that, yeah, I got, I got the, the operations manager's job and like I said being part of that was the first time we kind of clashed as part of health improvement and we've definitely made steps since that um, and again we've we've continued with the, the facility development so we had a pool at Normanton we took over the town hall where we used to just do some kind of fitness classes across the road took that over used some health improvement money basically made that into a functional fitness gym so we could do a lot more of the, the EOR from that but that was really quite a successful little project to start with only cost a couple of hundred thousand pounds but if you see it it's a really impressive kind of uh, functional fitness facility um Minsthorpe Leisure Centre in the southeast of the district. So we, we built a brand new leisure centre there. That was never necessarily the plan to start with, but we managed to get that over the line. So that opened in 2018, which is a really good, well-used centre. So it's got a, a 25-metre tank plus studio plus uh, a you know decent 60-station gym. Um, and then we're just, just doing some improvements at Featherstone, uh, which again improved in their gym. And then the big one, which I mentioned before, which we've been working a little bit on, is Aspire at the Park, which is a 20 plus million pound project um, that replaces the likes of Nottingham, which we said were closed, and Castleford and Will Pontefract Bath. So it's a 25 meter, 10 lane main pool, and then a 13 by 20 meter studio pool with movable floor tank for the secondary pool, large gym. Um, but lots of other facilities. So there's a climbing wall in there, lots of functional space in terms of meeting rooms, etc. Uh, lots of studio space, and it's within the park. Uh, and a big thing that, to get that kind of planning approval to get the centre built as a, as not so much a leisure centre as a, as a health improvement plug was, uh, health improvement hub. Easy for me to say. Um, yeah. In the park was to work with the park and the the. Friends of group were really keen because they've got a cafe which is in front of it's kind of front of house. So you can come in and have a coffee. They've got a very successful park run at Pontefract that runs around the risk. If you've ever been to Pontefract Racecourse, so if you drive along the M62, once you get to Junction 32, depending on which way you go, it's on your left or right, you'll probably be able to see the race course. So we just sat nestled behind there, um, and we took completion of the site last week, so um, end of January 2020, uh, 2021, and it's phenomenal we've still got you know a good couple of weeks of installing kit and doing some training and we'll we'll be ready to open whenever we're basically allowed to open um so that's that's a different challenge as well well two questions what is actually the name of that site so it's going to be called aspire at the park so we have our aspire brand which is what we'd call our membership base uh but okay um kind of a couple of reasons for that it, it started as the five towns project initially yeah. um, because mm. 
if you know the Wakefield district, there's the Wakefield and the five towns. So the five towns are Featherston, Pontefract, Castleford, Normanton, and Featherston. There's L5 there. Um, but it, it doesn't really suit the title because the five towns themselves don't see themselves as this collective of five towns. You, there, nobody would say, I'm from Castleford, I'm part of the five towns area. They say, I'm from Castleford. Or if they're from Featherston, they say, I'm from Featherston and I'm, I'm never going to step foot in Castleford. That's what they tell you and vice versa so there's there is some yeah there isn't a five towns isn't really a brand and also we've got facilities at featherston and normanton so it would kind of be three of the five towns so we wouldn't really call it the three towns because that's got even less significance but the aspire brands worked well for us in terms of our membership base um so it's kind of just using that uh but not pinpointing and saying right it's i mean there's there's an element where you always think because we're closing Pontefract Baths, people just call it the new Pontefract mm. Baths. It's a lot more than just the baths. Yeah. But um, it's got, yeah, loads of good facilities, four outdoor tennis courts, a 3G pitch outside. It sits well with the local college, Pontefract College, which is quite a big college, like I said, within the park uh, setting. So we kind of think it should do more for us. Do you know what I mean? Getting people from who mm. might want to walk around or members that would come to use the park, etc. So I think it's more than just a, a traditional leisure centre. It's, it's kind of more yeah, a future. It's, it's a hub, as you say. Yeah, and um, we're looking forward to getting it open because it's, it's first class of facilities within, within it. And were you able to bring some of your experiences from, let's say, Sun Lane, you know, as a, a brand new facility? Yeah bringing that into the mix when you were looking at a spire at the park? I think, and I was walking around last week with the general manager, Danielle, who was, who was my assistant manager at Sunlight. So yeah, I brought, physically brought the person. But, um, and she was, as we were walking around last week, she was saying, you know what? There's nothing that would change here in terms of, we haven't made any, you know, errors. I don't think we're yet to be seen once it operates, but she was going, everything now is, is how we want it because we, and Danielle included, we were really on it as part of the design team early on. So this is a six years in the making for me in terms of being involved with the early concept before we even did feasibility for the center so that everything is how the leisure operator would want it rather than necessarily. Sometimes I think the architect designs something, they use Sport England um, design guidance and then (laughs) they, uh, uh, I'm not going to, say anything about sporting and design guidance that's controversial because that's the type of sporting and might might listen but um there's quite a few derogations to be fair which the which sporting and allowed us and they've they've funded the project and been helpful all the way through andy pearson who to be fair i first met at Redcoe in cleveland he worked for the council at the time so we've worked right. on a leisure center before together he's now sport england and i'm waiting for council but um yeah the thing that danielle was saying, was saying it's kind of how we'd want it to be so there's no like major kind of um, drawbacks to it. Where you think you get something, oh, I wish I'd done something different. Um, because like I said, before before the builders got on site, before we even engaged the architects, we've been able to say, this is what works for us in Wakefield. This is what we think our communities would use. This is how we'd use it as operators in terms of managing this facility. This is this is what we want to do. Um, so we think, it, well, well, you know, me myself, I'm really proud of it. Um, but again, that's... That's just it as a building at the moment. It's only really going to be successful if it's there for the next 25 mm. to 30, 35 years, doing a great job and getting loads of people in. And I think the location's right. Uh, I think it will do it will do really well. And the, the facility mix is right. It doesn't have a sports hall, but again, there's a sports hall at the college next door. It's kind of like, don't, don't, do, don't do things twice if you don't need to. If you can work with the college to hire their space out later on and also work with the college in terms of staffing, and, you know, recruiting people and things like that. I've got, you know, people around kind of casual lifeguard age that normally come to us so use that pool of talent that's there and we've already got dialogue you know with the yeah it, it gladdens my heart whenever i i talk to people like yourself and you know you're talking about danielle and yourself because you you know you had fairly strong thoughts pre even digging a hole in the ground and getting involved with architects yeah. at an early early stage and on these podcasts i mean architects do get a fairly rough ride i mean i have to be honest about that it is sometimes a very general brush stroke because there have been so many pools in the past where here you go cov here's your new pool this is the first yeah. day you've seen it but on the, on the other side of the coin there are more and more and more situations where you've got people like yourself who are getting involved early doors and and that's a lovely thing to say. I was blessed when I built the leisure centre, was involved in it, that I had a very good relationship with the architect from day one. And we went through it, you know, you know, inch by inch. And when the place was opened, 
or when we, sorry, when it was handed over, I had exactly the same feeling as you've just described when I walked it through with my team, you know, and we just went, you know what, this is exactly what I envisaged. Now, obviously after year one, there's a few things you go, I wish to yeah. put that door there. Daft little things, but in general, <laughs> it was as we envisaged it. And that was, that was a good thing that, uh, you had a, a the good team approach to, to to build a new facility for for the public, and I, I just uh, I wish you well on that. It sounds good, and I look forward to to seeing it at some point yeah. once we get uh, back to some sort of normality. I don't think we'll ever be back to what we perceived as normal, um, but certainly uh, the sooner we get people back into the swimming pools and and the gyms, the better. And I don't mean the you know to, against any health regulations yeah. etc. But let's just get through this hump and get on. Well, Cov, that is, um, it's been really good to talk to you. I mean, it's the longest I've had a single talk with you yeah. uh, on anything other than park run. I take it you're, you're now a non, you're a non rugby playing. Absolutely, yeah. Member, not, are you? Not played proper rugby for a long time in in the kind of competitive sense or anything like that. During yeah. a bit of tag rugby or something, but I kind of, uh, I'm I'm well past that. I've got such a glass back these days i'm like running it just just trotting around the park can be a, a bit of a challenge so i kind of think yeah rugby i just shatter i watch rugby and i grimace i like you know just watching matches i'm thinking gosh that was that i mean some of the hits yeah. some of the hits well listen that's as good a place to finish it's been a, a good good to talk to you again and as i say i look forward to seeing seeing you face to face sooner absolutely. rather than later cause yes. so thanks very much for joining me today thank you robin really appreciate it. enjoyed it always good to talk to you yeah you too all the best cough talk to you thank soon you. Cheers. cheers mate thanks, bye, bye.